Well, good morning to you here at Tumby, to those of you at Bentville, and to those of you who are listening online. May I start with the words of David in Psalm 19 and verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our God. My dad died when I was seven, and I'm not saying this for any great uh, surge of uh, sympathy or anything like that, but it did mean that because of his war service, I grew up as a legacy lad. And one of the things that we were able to do was to attend a, uh, a camp in the Adelaide Hills every year, a boys' camp. I'm not sure how many there were there, about 150 to 200, I think. And we used to sleep in army tents. And because the camp was led by ex-soldiers, it was quite military. If you've seen the SAS Australia on TV, uh, we weren't abused like they were, uh, but it gives you some idea of uh, some of the things uh, that happened to us uh, when we were there. When I was about 13, I was uh, looking forward to uh, the camp and uh, we were allocated to our tents. But then on the Sunday morning, I was told I was going to be moved into another tent. And I wasn't looking forward to that at all because I knew some of the guys who were in that tent and uh, they were not the most savoury of types. And so I was quite apprehensive about what might have been going to happen. We had a church parade that Sunday morning and I don't remember too much about, well, I don't remember anything about the church parade apart from the text that the speaker spoke on and he was an old army chaplain and he spoke on uh, the, the text from um, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We know that in all things God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And that gave me a great encouragement to know that God was with me in that situation. I didn't really know the implications of it, but I was glad to be able to trust God. Some years later, mum died from cancer. And I can remember one of the cards that we got from a young couple in the church who had moved away. They were both high school teachers. And in their card, they quoted Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Slightly different translation because some years had passed. Many years later, I was able to see this couple and I was able to comment on the fact that the words that they had written in their card I had found really encouraging. And they said, I certainly wouldn't put that in a card today for a sympathy card. But for me at that time, it really was a great encouragement. At some stage in my teen years, I wanted to really know for sure that God was real. And so I sort of said, God, let me know that you're real. Give me some sort of sign. And I can remember I went through a process. If God did this, 
I'd think it was that. If God did something else, I'd think it was something else. And then I thought, God could write a message in the sky for me and that would be really great. But then I suddenly realised that if God did write a message in the sky, I'd just think it was a sign writer. So it would be a waste of time for God to do that to me. And then I got this impression in my mind, which I now believe very strongly was from God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And the impression I got was just the reference. I didn't know what the verse said, so I had to look it up. And it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Get your head around that one, young Billy. Uh, And uh, so I realised that I needed to exercise some faith if I really wanted to get to know God. Sometime later, I came across the passage in Matthew chapter 12 where some Pharisees had come to Jesus. Whoops. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law had come to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And of course, we know now from our perspective that Jesus was talking about the resurrection and how that was going to be a great sign for us. Now, I want to run through fairly quickly three great influences in my life and I'll come to the fourth great influence later on. The first one was a strong family heritage. My grandparents were stalwarts in Churches of Christ in South Australia and pretty everybody, pretty well everybody who was anybody in Churches of Christ knew who my grandparents were. It was such an influence on me that when I had finished my training for ministry, I decided I didn't want to go to a church in South Australia because I would be known as the Green's grandson and I wanted to be known in my own particular right. So uh, they were really stalwarts and uh, somebody in Churches of Christ wrote a book of women of the century and of course number two or number three happens to be my grandmother. So uh, they were strong influences on me for good. I want to acknowledge that. My teenage years were spent in a church in Adelaide and uh, this was an incredible church to be a part of. There were a couple of aspects of this church which really stood out as I was thinking about it and one was the encouragement that the oldies gave to the young people. We were really encouraged to exercise our faith and to uh, play our leadership roles within the church. So we grew up in a great way there. And the other aspect of that was an organisation called Christian Endeavour. Now, I don't know how many of you older people here may have experienced Christian Endeavour, but it was a great movement for training, to getting us to do things 
in the life of the church. And so uh, Christian endeavour and uh, a strong family heritage. And then number three there is strong wifely support. And uh, Joyce has been an incredible blessing to me over the years. There's a question I want to ask right now. How many of you know anything about the Western Endeavour? We struggle with the uh, living with the borders and how we might want to go to one of the states as we go through this COVID experience. I've discovered a cousin in South Australia who I haven't seen for at least 65 years, but I can't get to South Australia to see him uh, along with my sister who happens to live in Melbourne. We're looking for a family gathering back there, but we're still waiting uh, to be able to get there. So there were borders that we contend with now. Back when Australia started, it was just a group of states and there were borders then and different states had different gauges for their trains. And that was a real bugbear to society as they tried to travel from one state to another, as they tried to move merchandise from one state to another. They all had to be transshipped from one gauge to another. And that was incredibly inefficient. So in the 1960s, the government decided that they would standardise a lot of the railways in the different states. And uh, one of the great uh, feats that they did was to standardise the train line from Sydney through to Perth. Now, I happened to be working in Broken Hill when that was done. And uh, finally, the standard gauge line was open all the way across Australia. And to mark that uh, achievement, they decided they would run a steam hauled train from Sydney through to Perth. And the train was known as the Western Endeavour. It was hauled, and you probably can't see it down the front, maybe you can see it down the bottom of the picture, by the uh, famous steam locomotive 3801. And this train was coming through Broken Hill on a Sunday afternoon and I wanted to go out and see it, but I really didn't feel like going out all by myself. So as a young guy in the church, I went out and asked one of the young ladies from the church if she'd like to come out and watch the train with me. 50 years, five months and two days later, we are still together. So a long time. We haven't been married all of that time, but uh, I guess you could say we've been an item. As I was thinking about this train, it suddenly struck me that just as God wants to prepare us for mission, that train had to be prepared for mission. It had to be completely overhauled. It was repainted along with all of the carriages that it was towing. And to get ready for the journey, they had to pre-position coal out along the track because uh, the re-coaling facilities had all been removed many years ago. They had to tow, uh, as part of the train, special what were called water gins. They were carriages or trucks of water because a steam train needs coal and water to operate. 
And so, at any rate, this particular train, the Western Endeavour, was uh, overhauled, prepared, and it made the way to Perth and back again. It was going to be the only steam train to ever do that run, uh, but it was probably such a success that they decided to repeat it in the bicentenary year 1988. Now, just a few months after uh, going out to watch that train, and so Joyce knew what she was letting herself in for uh, when she came out and when I introduced her to the wonder of steam trains. I was asked to speak uh, in Broken Hill Church. It was a Christmas time when there weren't many people around, uh, so maybe they thought it was a reasonable risk to take. <laughs> the text for that message, and I don't remember what I said about this text, but I remember it was 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And that verse had been meaning a lot to me, that all the things I had stuffed up in the past were gone and I didn't have to worry about them. And God was doing something new in my life. I subsequently came to know the, uh, the next verse as well, that as well as God making me new, God has given me a ministry of reconciliation. God wants me to be involved in letting other people know about this new life that they can have in Jesus. And we read in a couple of places in John's Gospel that as the Father has sent Jesus, so Jesus has sent us to go into all the world with the message of God's love. And then, of course, there is the Great Commission also in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The fourth great influence in my life, I would say, has been the Bible. And really I appreciate the training that I did in college that gave me a great deal of faith and trust in the Bible. Firstly, in the authenticity of the documents that have come down to us as the Old and the New Testament. Just how we can trust them. And then if we trust them, they have a certain authority over our lives. The way they direct how we are going to live, what we are going to do. We need to be trusting what the Bible has to say. About 10 years ago, I was a chaplain at the Defence Force Academy in Canberra and we were having a discussion with the second year cadets and uh, asked, you know, they could ask the chaplains anything uh, they wanted to. Some of them were real doozies. Uh, some of them weren't particularly spiritual, but there was one about the authority of the Bible. How can we trust it? And uh, I got this flash of inspiration which I've got to acknowledge was really God giving it to me and it wasn't something out of my own mind. But I had been 
part of the basketball club in the uh, academy. I had coached Joyce's basketball team many years ago, but that wasn't a very successful uh, episode of my life. They lost every game that I was there. And then they won every game when I wasn't there. <laughs> but coming out of the basketball club, I suddenly realised that when I was refereeing basketball, I didn't make up the rules as I went along. I had a rule book which I had to know, and I just applied the rules in that particular situation. And so it is with the Bible. I take the Bible, I don't make up my own life rules, but they are given to me in the Bible and I try to live as best as I can by them. I came across what I think is a great quote from Mark Twain and there is quite a debate about Mark Twain's spirituality but he said this, It's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And there are lots of parts of the Bible I don't understand. But those that do, I try to live by them uh, for uh, my way of life. Coming out of believing in the Bible, one of the early assignments we had to do in college was an assignment on the resurrection. And this particular assignment on the resurrection really challenged me because I had never really thought much about it. But I think I ended up with 10 proofs for the reality of the uh, resurrection. And then... Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his, particular, in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about Jesus and the resurrection. That Jesus was either a liar who knew that he wasn't who he was claiming to be, and of course, if that's the case, he doesn't deserve our allegiance. Or maybe he was a lunatic who thought he was somebody when he really wasn't, and again, If that's the case, he doesn't deserve our allegiance. Or else he is Lord of all. Liar, lunatic or Lord? It's a question I had to answer and it's a question we all have to answer. Who do we believe that Jesus is? Now I've got down here some what I've called some, uh, some work for me, right? Here we are. What I've called some incidental encounters, uh, things that have happened during my life. I was in on the uh, management staff of the Tops Conference Centre. It was something that I'd wanted to do for many years. And then in a management restructure, I was replaced and my world uh, shattered. And I became fairly depressed, which has worked out well for me, not because of the depression, but having gone through that experience, I have been much more sensitive in dealing with other people who are going through depression Beforehand, I was fairly intolerant 
And I was one of those who was inclined to say, well, if you're depressed, build a bridge and get over it. Full of sympathy. But uh, I'm now much more sympathetic towards those. Another great lesson that I have learnt in the past was memorising Bible verses. And that has stood me in incredible stead over the years to be able to recall verses from the Bible and they have helped me to understand what is going on in different situations. And uh, somewhere along the line, I realised that David in Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have laid up your word in my heart. I have memorised your word that I might not sin against you. And so one of the benefits of memorising scripture is that we're not going to sin against God. Now, a very brief lesson from fatherhood. We've got three boys and one girl. Debbie is the second one in line. And every night before we went to bed, we would go in and check that the kids were covered and everything was okay with them. Otherwise, especially Debbie, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, mommy or daddy, I'm cold. And so we'd have to get up and go and tuck her in. This particular night, I went in to tuck her in and she's looking like the perfect little cherub that she was. And I looked down at her and I suddenly thought, you ungrateful thing. I've got out of bed to tuck you in and you don't even realise what I'm doing. And almost straight away, there was another whack across the back of the head and God was saying to me, just like me, how much do I do for you that you take for granted? So that's one little lesson from fatherhood which is against me so I can tell the story. Disappointments. We've had disappointments along the way. Things haven't gone the way that we've wanted them to, but they've been great learning experiences for us as God has taught us things, as we have sought to see what he is doing in those situations. And then spoken words. Probably the most recent spoken word was when I was finishing up my army chaplaincy and there was an opportunity to do some part-time work in Newcastle. And I was talking to one of the more senior chaplains and, uh, about whether I should do that or not and he said, Bill, opportunity doesn't equal a call. Opportunity doesn't equal a call. Not saying that opportunity doesn't mean a call at all. Could be, but in my occasion he was basically saying to me, you're too old, get out of the way. Not quite. But uh, I was quite comfortable then to recognise that my time in the army had finished. And then back in the year 2000, um, a woman, we had gone to a church that we weren't regularly attending. And this particular Sunday night, a woman who I knew of, her husband had been one of my lecturers way back in 1971. And this is the year 2000. And uh, Joanne said, God is telling me something and I, but I don't know who it's for. And then she spoke a little bit and then she says, there are three things God is saying. God's saying, I know where you are, I have not forgotten you and I will take you out of there. And I was in a very unsatisfactory position at that particular stage and we'd been praying that God would get us somewhere differently but nothing was happening. And so 
these words were fulfilled during the rest of that year. God did take us out of there. He gave us a whole new job, gave us a new house, and uh, it was an incredible experience. And I have what I think is a fairly fertile imagination. And there's a verse in Hebrew, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 3, which uh, I have read a number of times. And a few times I actually thought, come on, God, you're not saying your ability is greater than my imagination, are you? Now, when I was uh, finished up at Stanwell Tops, there were things about that position and what had happened that we weren't happy with. And so I was trying to get some legal advice. And you know how solicitors advertise, first consultation free. I tried half a dozen solicitors and none of them wanted to know me because of the situation. It was industrial law. And so I gave up on it. A few weeks later, I was given a, an introduction verbally to a particular person. Spoke to him on a Sunday afternoon and then he wanted to know a few more details and he said, of course, you've got to realise that if you decide to go along with this, I will have to disqualify myself from hearing your case. So he wasn't a solicitor, he was actually one of the commissioners. I was wanting a solicitor. God said, I'll give you somebody a whole lot better. And that year 2000 was an incredible year. I want to introduce you to Lorraine. Lorraine I haven't heard of for many years now. But she was a real estate agent at North Taramurra. And in about April, I was asked to speak on my home group. And I spoke on the home group and I sat down and I thought, gee, I bombed that one, didn't I, really badly. And so uh, at the end of the service, Lorraine came up to me and she said, I need to come to your home group. Now, I wasn't leading the home group, but she felt that God was saying, come to this particular group. And uh, so she eventually made it. As part of the roller coaster ride that we were on that particular year, um, uh, we were looking at buying a new house over the other side of Sydney. And at the home group this particular Sunday, uh, Thursday night, I asked, how much under the asking price do you offer when you want to buy a house? And straight away, Lorraine, who I hadn't met any or didn't have any more details about, said to me, I'm a real estate agent. Would you like me to negotiate on your behalf? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lorraine. And so she did. And we ended up buying that particular house. And I chose Lorraine as an example because we heard afterwards that she was so excited that God had used her. She'd never sensed that before. And that seems to us to be a challenge that God wants to use each one of us in our daily lives and we never know where that is going to be. So may we, as we are being shaped for mission, look to what God is using us for, what he's saying to us and how he would like 
to use us. Sorry about this, but we'll get used to it eventually because we're right near the end. There are three sayings that I want to share with you at this particular stage. When we were finishing up at Stanwall Tops, because I was hurting over what was going on, I was thinking of ways of revenge. What could I do? And uh, I remember one morning I had been thinking that and I went home for lunch and Joyce said that the boys had been talking about what they might do to get even. And she said to them, no matter what happens, we're going to go out of here with our heads held high. And I at least thought it if I didn't say it. That's great, Joyce. Why didn't I think of that? But I didn't dare tell her what I had been thinking that particular morning. And uh, so we were able to walk, walk out of there with our heads held high because we had not done anything wrong. The next saying comes out of the genocide in Rwanda. Now, a lot of you may not be aware of it, but this happened in the 1990, early 1990s and something like 800,000 Rwandans were killed in the genocide in the fighting between the Hutus and the Tutsis. There was a bishop who lost 80 members of his family as part of that genocide. And he said afterwards, if you want to feel good in the short term, get even. If you want to feel good in the longer term, forgive. Now, forgiveness is something that we find really hard to do. And I found hard to do after Stanwell Tops, but I was able to do it in a process over a number of years. And I can go back there now and there's no hassle or anything like that. We do it fairly well. If you want to feel good in the short term, get even. If you want to feel good in the longer term, Forgive. And that is really what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So it's pretty heavy stuff that Jesus really wants us to forgive. Now one of the great stories of forgiveness in the Old Testament we find in the book of Genesis. Rick, you might have to help me on this one. No? Doesn't matter. I'll tell you what it is and you'll have to check me later on to see whether I'm right or not. Joseph, you might remember, had been sold into slavery. He was finally reconciled to his brothers. They were feeling guilty about what they had done. And so they came uh, to Joseph and said, you know, Dad really wants you to forgive us. And so uh, there was a reconciliation there. And then as part of that reconciliation, Joseph said, as for you, you meant it for evil. 
or you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So we started off with Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. That God is at work in every situation for the good of those who love him. And I want to finish with Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. That while some people may be meaning things that they have done to us for evil, God is meaning it for good. And so as I look back on 50 years particularly of ministry, I want to thank God for seeing fit to use me as an ordinary person and I would say with no particular skills, I can't sing, can't play a musical instrument, can't do any of that sort of stuff. But God has soon seen fit to use me in different ways. And there are many other things over the years that I've had to cut out because of the time constraints. But let's give, th- let's give thanks to God for the way that he has used me And if you've never been used by God, open yourself up for him to do whatever he wants to in your life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to hear, to say publicly here this morning that you are a great God and thank you for seeing fit to use me as part of your work of reconciliation. And I pray for all of those who have been listening to my voice, whether it be here at Tumby or Bensville or online. I pray that something of what I have said will be taken by your Holy Spirit and applied to their lives. So God, we trust you. Thank you that you are real, that you have called us into your service. And we say thank you once again in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.